0: Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The Greenville Oaks Church of Christ seeks all who need Jesus and together are becoming His fully devoted followers, encouraging and equipping people to love God, love people, and serve others in an ever-growing way of life. Find out more about Greenville Oaks or connect with us online at greenvilleoaks.org. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Colin Packard. Good morning church. I want to encourage you this morning if you have your Bibles or your phones or tablets with a Bible app if you would open up or turn over to uh, Luke chapter 7. I want to read a story to you and then I want to share some thoughts on that story and hopefully we'll walk out of here with better vision of what it means to follow Jesus uh, in the journey ahead of us. Uh, So Luke 7 verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, He went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited saw this, He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, "Simon, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which will he love more? Which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven, you have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered does not stop kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. As her great love has shown, But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. God, we come before you this morning and we ask for the same Jesus who spoke those words to be present in our lives, to speak those words over those who need it even now. And God, for those of us who need our vision clarified, which I think counts all of us in the room about what your kingdom is and how we see it and how we pursue the people that you have called uh, throughout this world, I pray that you would do that surgery on our eyes this morning again so that we might see more clearly. And then we might act in accordance with our vision and your vision. Pray this this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen. He's a Pharisee and she is a woman of the city, which may describe why we know his name is Simon and her name remains nameless. Usually Simon and this woman wouldn't have come into contact with one another. But when you follow Jesus closely, you tend to wind up with people that you didn't expect to come across. We don't know much about Simon. We do know he's a Pharisee, which means he knew the law quite well, and he tried to follow it as best as he could. Simon also, we know from the story, has a home that's capable of inviting guests in and having and hosting a dinner. And Simon seems to have a question about Jesus that I think shapes what he sees and what he fails to see in this story. And the question that seems to be prompted in in this story, uh, that Simon's wondering as Jesus enters into the doors is, is this guy a prophet or not? And it doesn't take long for Simon to get his answer. We, We don't really know how sincere Simon is in trying to pursue this question. Perhaps he's a sincere admirer of Jesus, but it's also possible that Simon is just looking for one reason to discount Jesus and not follow him, not to believe he's a prophet it all comes down to what we want to see. Because in the end, we, we always find what we're looking for. That's true when it comes to people's response to Jesus as well. For the poor, the sick, and the marginalized, the lost who found themselves on the outside of stories again and again, you see the response in the gospels is they're drawn to Jesus. They come to Jesus. They respond and follow his way. For the Pharisees, though, who can't admit their need, they respond to Jesus as if he's a threat to their power and their influence, their position. If you come to Jesus looking for the Messiah, you're going to find out he's the Messiah. Just watch and listen to what he does. But if you come for reasons to looking to maintain the way of life that you currently have, it's easy to discount Jesus and to continue to live that way. As Jesus said, In the Beatitudes, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Or as the message translates that same verse, I like this. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope, for when there's less of you, there's more of God and his rule. Sometimes you have to need Jesus before you find him. But it would be a shame if this entire sermon was focused on Simon, because that's what we tend to do in our culture, isn't it? Find those who host uh, these kinds of dinners, and we talk about them. But there's a woman in the story that's important to focus on as well to see clearly this morning because, well, it's the interplay of Simon and this woman that make this story interesting that really bring it intrigue. There's a lot in this story I would like to preach about this morning if I had the time probably four or five different lessons that I'd love to bring to you. Maybe that's worth a whole sermon series at some point, but this morning I'll stick with one. But I want to just kind of tease those other thoughts for a moment. One of the ways that we see the importance of this story and what happens is is when we look at uh, hospitality codes in the ancient Middle East, which I'm sure all of you have studied up on, right? In America, when we host a dinner party, there are rules, there are etiquette of how you invite a guest in. You greet them at the door. You welcome them in. You, you may take their coats from them and put them in a closet or in a bedroom for safekeeping. And, and then you introduce them further into the house. You allow them and encourage them to sit perhaps on your couch. Maybe you ask them what they'd like to drink. That's the way we enter guests into our home today. But in Palestine, there's a different set of expectations, A host was supposed to greet the guests to kiss them on the cheek when they enter. Servants would then be called in to wash their feet. After all, many of them are wearing sandals and it's not as clean as what we'd expect coming into our house. They want clean houses too. And later on, there's a story about Jesus who does that act himself, right? He goes and he washes the feet of his disciples. We'll read that story in a few weeks. And on occasion, the guests would also be anointed with oil. And none of this happens when Jesus enters the door. The host has committed this huge social faux pas. It's clear that he's not honoring Jesus as he should. And you would think that he'd be embarrassed by that, but that's not exactly what happens as we read again in Luke 7. I want to read verses 44 again with that context in mind. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. This woman, this sinner who was known in the city is offering the kind of hospitality that any host should have known to give. Apparently, she's been forgiven much, and out of her gratitude, she responds in this way. Apparently, she responds the way that any guest should be greeted, any host should offer. And then Luke includes the parable, right? Parable of the two debtors. There's these two debtors who owe a lot. There's a moneylender who's gracious, who forgives each debt, and the question, who forgives? Who's more grateful in the scene? And Simon knows the answer. It's the one who's had more forgiven. There's another sermon about Simon in this story. It's obvious he's looking for a reason, I think, to dismiss Jesus. Just one reason, and he finds it early on. He says, look, if you were the prophet, you would know who this woman is, and you know you don't respond this way to these kinds of women. Simon's not embarrassed by his failure to show hospitality. Simon doesn't even actually see this woman as he should. He's looking for something wrong with Jesus, which... Causes him to miss certain things and to see other things. He finds what's wrong with Jesus. Luke 7, 39. Let me read this again. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him. And what kind of woman it is that she is a sinner. Simon found exactly what he was looking for, a reason to dismiss Jesus. And all the while, as he's looking at Jesus for something that's wrong with him, he misses this woman who's there. So that's what caught my attention. That's what I want to spend the next bit of time in this message focused on is the woman rather than Simon that we would tend to focus on. I chose this sermon because it convicted me because I'm guilty, I believe. And the word I want to speak today is relevant, is relevant for people who have been going to church all their lives and consider themselves religious people, but it's just as relevant to those of us who don't consider ourselves that way or want anyone to know we're here this morning. It's a word people who of all kinds need to hear. Remember, the good news according to Luke is that outsiders are included and followers of Jesus who want to follow Jesus in 2019 need to hear the question that Jesus asks Simon in this scene. Once again, it's, it's a sermon, this one, about who we choose to see and those we look over. This is a sermon about the stories that we tell about people about the labels that we lazily give to people so that we can dismiss them and move on to other people. If we want to reach the kind of people that Jesus tried to reach, we're going to need to dwell on Jesus' question in this passage. So I want you listening this morning. Have I kind of hyped up this message enough to get to it? Do I have your attention? The question I want to focus on comes in the first half of verse 44. It's the one that arrested me that's caught my eye. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? That's the question I want us to dwell on. Do you see this woman? Do you really see this woman? I need you to set your attention on this question. I want your attention to dwell on that question this morning. Look deeper at the story. Because you realize we're being trained on a constant basis to make snap judgments, to make these decisions right off the bat about who people are and what category we can put them in and what label we can place on them so we don't have to think with nuance or any deeper about what their story is and what's behind it. This is why we scroll through Facebook, right? Instagram. I mean, we're taught to make decisions about what ought to catch our attention a little longer than other things that we can pass by. But this passage demands more attention than that. We're not looking long or deep enough. Our brains are trained to make quick judgments so that we can place labels. Our brains are not trained to look closely. They're not trained for nuance. They're not trained for curiosity. Our brains are designed to make these snap judgments. And once we make those split-second judgments, our brains are designed to reach and grab for any data that confirms the label that we put off the bat. We think it's the opposite way. We think we make decisions based on data. We uh, search out all the information. and We find out what's true and what's not, and then we make decisions that impact our lives. But what brain psychologists are telling us over and over again is it actually works the other way. We make split judgments, and then we look for data to support, narratives to support the judgments that we make. So Simon notices this woman long enough to make a judgment, not about her, but actually about Jesus. She's simply the sinful woman from town. To Simon, she's a label. To Simon, she's a flat character. There's no depth there. To Simon, she's a minor character trying to make a judgment about Jesus, who's the major character. Simon sees her, but he doesn't actually see her. And so Jesus asked Simon a question in verse 44 that we all need to ask ourselves, do you see this woman? And that question took me back to one of my favorite stories of all all time, Les Miserables. If you know the story, or maybe you've seen the musical, you know a little bit about it the background, but I want to give you that background before I read a section out of this because it's the scene I have in my mind as I see this dinner table conversation with the woman. Victor Hugo writes Les Miserables in 1862, the story set in the French Revolution and it's actually written after that, reflecting back, it's a bit of historical fiction that he writes. And uh, it most prominently is about the story of an ex-convict named Jean Valjean and his experience of redemption. One of the characters, though, early in the story, a minor character, you might say, is a woman named Fantine. Fantine's a young woman who falls in love with a guy and... And in a summer fling, ends up getting impregnated by him. And as soon as the guy finds out, he abandons her. She has to figure out a way to gather enough resources to care for her and her child, her daughter Cosette. She lives and gets a job in a a factory, a a good enough job. But this job requires, because of the uh, sense of the day, that no one could know about this child that she had had without a husband, and so she. Uh, sends this child off to an innkeeper, the Tenardiers, to take care of her. And, And she goes off to this factory and sends money from afar to make sure that she's taken care of, not knowing that this child's being abused, not knowing that they're actually trying to extort money from her more and more. And as the years go on, the bills keep piling up and she has to keep finding ways to continue to pay until eventually she loses her job because word gets around of who this woman is. Uh, She actually has another child out of wedlock, they find out. And so she's let go from her job. And we see this woman because we know her story. We have compassion and empathy for this woman because we know the backstory. but that's not how everyone sees this woman. So she has to find ways to, to gather enough money to care for her daughter, to send the payments on to make sure she's taken care of. And in desperation, without an education or anyone to help her, she sells her hair. She eventually sells her two front teeth with enough money to care for her ch- child, wondering how things would end up. This is the story on page 118. A story that I see when I see this story about Simon and the woman. About the same time, Thenardier wrote to her that he had waited with decidedly too much amiability and that he must have a hundred francs at once. Otherwise he would turn little Cosette out of doors, convalescent as she was from her heavy illness into the cold in the streets and that she might do what she liked with herself and die if she chose a hundred francs thought fontine but in what trade can one earn a hundred sous a day come said she let us sell what is left the unfortunate girl became a woman of the town what is this history of fontine it is society purchasing a slave from whom from misery From hunger, cold, isolation, destitution, a dolorous bargain, a soul for a morsel of bread, misery offers, society accepts. The sacred law of Jesus Christ governs our civilization, but it does not as yet permeate it. It is said that slavery has disappeared from European civilization. This is a mistake. It still exists, but it weighs only upon the woman and it is called prostitution. Friday, several of y'all received breaking news stories on your phone about an NFL owner who'd been caught for soliciting prostitution at the day spa in Jupiter, Florida. Come to find out as the story goes on that evidence indicates that Chinese women had been recruited and transported to the United States under the false promise of securing legitimate jobs only to be held captive at spas and coerced to transact for commercial sex. Male clients at Orchids of Day could purchase a female body at the rate of $59 for 30 minutes or $79 for an hour. Sex trafficking generates annual profits of nearly $100 billion. We've got to look closer. A paragraph where I read has a quote in it that is eerily similar to the story in John in Luke 7. Story, the, the line that Hugo writes is: the unfortunate girl became a woman of the town. In Luke, the Greek actually reads this way: it reads, Kai edu gune ain in te pole amartolos. And the translation, if you were to take that kind of word by word underneath, it is, and behold, look, see a woman who was in the town, a sinner. What's interesting is in most of our English translations, it doesn't actually translate the first word there, edu. It just means behold, see, look, pay attention. And later on, Jesus is going to call us back to that word. You see this woman. See, Fontine is a woman of the city. She has sold her body and eventually Inspector Javert, the keeper of law and order, sentences her to six months in prison. The inspector sees her at her worst. She's a woman of the city just selling her body. There's another character, Valjean, who sees more of this woman, who knows the story behind that he's been a part of as well. And the difference is he sees her in a way that the inspector doesn't. Inspector sees a woman at her worst, and Valjean sees a woman who's trying to care for her daughter and for herself. Valjean sees Fantine as more than a prostitute. She's a woman who's fallen on hard times. She's a woman who would give anything for the sake of her daughter being taken care of. For some reason, we've begun to believe a narrative that the demise of sinful people is just a fitting ending to a life of sin. But is that judgment a proper way to see the woman in John 7? Is she simply discardable? Simon certainly doesn't see the woman as a full person. She's merely a bit character and a larger question about who Jesus is in the scene. Simon never sees the woman. This woman has had her debt forgiven. She's been forgiven much. But the question Jesus ends with is, do you see this woman? And, and my imagination started being stirred as I thought about Fontine, and as I thought about this story in John 7, as I thought about not just people who are caught up in sex trafficking or these kinds of roles, but other people in our city, men in our city, young people in our city, women in our city that we don't quite see as we should. And so this morning I wanted to invite someone who see, is seeing women, uh, particularly in her case, up close, and I thought, maybe we need help seeing this morning. So, Kristen, I want to ask you, if you'd come to the stage, because I thought about a person in our church who sees the forgotten people in our city. Kristen Mazza is one of those. I wanted to invite her to a conversation to help us see better, because that's the prompt that Jesus gives us. Kristen's the executive director of uh, Independent Living and Youth and Family Services at Juliet Fowler Communities in East Dallas. A few years ago, she was tasked with the opening of Ebby House, which is a residential home for young women who have aged out of the foster care system or are at risk of homelessness due to neglect, abuse, and abandonment. And I've asked Kristen, and we talked this week about what does it look like to help see these women, these young people, these men in our city that are are often forgotten, that aren't seen as clearly as we could, that we make snap judgments about. And as a church, we, we support several agencies and nonprofits through our benevolence ministry. At the end of the year, when we give out the funds for all those in our church and in our community who have need, we, we have extra funds at the end of the year often. And those are given to places like Allen Community Outreach that we send people to for resources here in Allen or to Samaritan Inn or to Ebby House as well. So Kristen, I wanted you to tell us a little bit about your work there at Ebby House to begin uh, this, this afternoon, this this day. Sure. I think we're on afternoon now that I'm thinking about but... This is an important conversation.
1: Before I tell you a little bit about the Ebby House, I want to thank you as a church and as individuals for giving to our Benevolence Day here at Greenville Oaks because your gift has blessed the Ebby House and enables us to continue serving the young women that that we do. So thank you. As Colin mentioned, the Ebby House is a program in East Dallas that serves young women ages 18 to 24 who have either experienced foster care, have aged out of foster care, or who are at risk of homelessness, um, thus at a high risk of um, being trafficked. Um, And they're at risk because of abuse, neglect, and abandonment. Um, These girls can live with us for up to two years, and while they live with us, um, they receive um, job training, educational support, spiritual support, life skills training. They receive medical care. They receive mental health care. Um, And all through that time, we're working with them in forming connections and relationships with um, healthy individuals who will see them um, beyond the Ebby House.
0: I was blown away a couple of weeks ago. We got the chance as a staff to go to Evie House and to see the work done there. And it's grown from all these empty rooms waiting on young girls to come to now, on an average, about 10 of those uh, young, young girls that are living in that house, young women that are learning life skills and all these things. So I'm pretty sure the way you guys are doing this. in church, this is a great ministry. If you want to get involved in some way, looking for a place to volunteer, would love for you to come up afterwards and talk to Kristen and find out more ways that we can support this ministry. But over the past five years or so, working with these girls at the Evie House, how has your work changed the way that you see everything around you?
1: One of the ways um, I've been changed or the way I view my world is that I tend to see people in terms of their stories. I'm reminded that everyone has a story. Um, we all bring a different story to the table. And our past experiences, our past um, trauma um, dictates how we behave and the decisions that we that we make today. And when I can remember that everyone has a story, I um, see with more compassion. I see empathetically, and I see so much more potential.
0: So I'm thinking back over the last ten and fifteen years, a lot has changed for you. You've lived in Dallas that amount of time and longer. But how has what are some of the presumptions that you had that have really changed as a result of the last? Uh, 15 years and just the work and the girls you spent time with?
1: I probably had some of the same presumptions that many of you have in regarding um, homelessness, whether it's homeless youth or homeless adults. Um, I probably assumed that there was a high rate of addiction. I knew that we had a lot of veterans who were homeless. I assumed that if they just went and got a job— Um, then that would solve all the problems. I assumed that if they just went and checked into a shelter, they could get a bed. Um, And if they'd gotten one of those jobs, then they would have housing that they could afford. Um, I didn't realize the complexity of the systems that we as society have put in place. Um, I didn't know the incongruencies. I didn't know that um, homelessness can be criminalized. Um, I didn't know that finding affordable housing is almost impossible in our city. Um, I didn't realize that obtaining a bed in a shelter is extremely hard. And then if you get a bed in the shelter, how dangerous it is, especially for women of any ages. Um, I didn't know that human trafficking—I didn't know what human trafficking looked like. And I didn't know that 60 percent of victims have experience with foster care. I had no idea that a teenager or a young adult or child, for that matter, who had been removed from their parents or their home um, because they were being harmed, um, would want nothing more than to receive the love and connection from those people who had done them harm. Um, There's no way I could have fully comprehended Um, 100% of my being understands this now, but no one chooses homelessness.
0: When you drive around Dallas-Fort Worth, um, how do you see differently today than you did before? And what's impacted that?
1: I simply see now. Um, I see things that I didn't see before, such as homeless youth. Um, I see now through the eyes of a homeless young woman. Um, I hear oftentimes when I'm talking to people here in Collin County specifically, they will say, we don't have that problem. We don't have homeless youth. Um, I don't see them. I don't see them on the street corner. I don't see them living under bridges. I don't see tent cities. Um, And that's because our homeless youth don't hang out out in the open. Our homeless youth are hiding in the shadows. Um, They're trying to avoid being seen for their safety. Um, Our homeless youth throughout the DFW are um, what we call sofa surfing. They're sleeping su- couch to couch to couch. Um, they're sleeping in cars. They're sleeping in a motel room. They find ways to ride dart all night long because they're safe and sheltered there. Um, I know one girl who told me that oftentimes they'll go to emergency rooms because the emergency rooms are open all night And it's fairly safe, it's shelter, it's warm, they're protected. Um, So that's what I see. I find myself when I'm out and about, I look for those places that they might be. I look for sheltered and safe places. I pay attention to the city um, park bathrooms that are open year-round or open 24-7. I pay attention to the places that have air conditioning and heat because I know that that may be Um, shelter for somebody. Um, So it's kind of the things that I'm aware of and I pay attention to. I look for transportation accessibility. I look for parking lots where a car might could be parked um, and go unnoticed. I really find myself seeing the community through the eyes of what if I was homeless.
0: So I imagine these girls have made a huge impact on the way you see that. What in particular has shaped that uh, vision of seeing things differently than what you did?
1: When you spend time with somebody, um, and, and in my case, these these young women, when I spend time with them and I hear their stories and I hear what's consuming their thoughts, where am I going to sleep tonight? When am I going to have my next meal? Am I going to be safe? Um, when you hear that and then know that there's good work happening, um, that changes perspective I can hear them say, I don't have to worry about where I sleep. I I know that I always have food. I get to hear the girls laughing. And when I know that they can laugh, um, knowing all that they've been through, um, it's impactful. You know, I grew up going to church like many here in the room did. And we're all familiar with the scripture from Matthew 25 when Jesus says, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I needed clothes and you clothed me. But do you remember the question that followed afterwards? The people responded, when did we see you hungry and give you something to eat or drink? When I finally connected that spiritual truth with my real life and I was changed. When I choose to see them, I couldn't help but be changed.
0: So I know a lot of this is eye-opening, and and some of us have experience with these kind of populations as well and are trying to think about how does the church affect this, right? How do we as followers of Jesus who know we're trying to follow Jesus see these uh, unseen people? And what does it look like? How can the church, how can we as Christians respond to this in this day?
1: So if you want to see unseen people, I'm happy to show you. Um, and there's a, a ver- variety of ways. There's there's so many ways that, um, as church and individuals, that you can help. I will always say that continued financial support, whether it's the Ebby House or another um, organization that's doing this work, um, this work can't be done without financial support, Um So, I always want to point that out to um, anyone that I can. Um, There's always a need for foster parents. Um, There's a variety of organizations here in Cullen County that are always recruiting foster parents. Um, So, I would encourage you, if that's on your heart, to pursue that. Um, I had a couple people mention that maybe they're not quite ready for to sign up to be foster parents, but there is a need for what's called respite foster parenting as well. And that kind of provides relief to current foster parents. And Matt and I, my husband and I are actually going through the process right now of um, completing the process to become respite foster parents. So if that interests you, I'm happy to um, tell you a little bit more about that process. Um, There's always Room for more volunteers at the Ebbie House or Julia Fowler or other organizations. Everything from administrative opportunities to mentoring to coaching to teaching life skills to helping with transportation. Sometimes we have a resident that needs a ride to the doctor or needs a ride to school. And um, there's only a few of us and there's a lot of needs. Um, so if I can help in that way, please feel free to come see me. The other thing I would ask you to do is to just be willing to see, to just be willing to go in with open eyes and see see her.
0: Grateful for the ways that you've helped me see that, and our staff see that recently at Evie House, and uh, thank you for what you brought today for us. Would you give Chris a hand? Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message helps you in your walk to find real significance in Jesus. Make sure to give us a rating and review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher. Discover more about the Greenville Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org.